Today we have two very special guests who are going to be talking to us about the 50-point business checkup. We're going to be learning uh, from David Calderon, which is the uh, senior partner at Barth Calderon, and he's also the head of uh, the dispute resolution practice within the firm. And we also have Paul, which is the director, Paul Hitch Hitchcock, which is the director of business development at Barth Calderon LLP, an asset protection and estate planning attorneys uh, serving clients nationwide. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Juan Pablo, and uh, great to be here. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, I just want to mention a bit about our firm as we get into this, because I think it's important. And we are uh, a law firm. We're focused on asset protection, estate planning, business planning. And we have been around for 30 years. I think, David, we're actually celebrating our 30-year anniversary this month, are we not? That is correct. I think, yeah. And uh, and we have clients across the country. A lot of our clients are business owners, small, medium, and large. We put on about 40 workshops a year across the country to many business organizations, including Vistage International, Chambers of Commerce, Apartment Associations, and, and many others. And David is... Uh, one of our top speakers at the firm in high demand for these sort of talks that he gives. And as Juan Pablo said, David is a partner at the firm and one of our expert attorneys in asset protection, estate planning, and business planning. And I want to mention, too, that I know the link to our website is going to be put up uh, along with this presentation. And if you go visit our website, you can see the people, see who we are. There it is. And uh, on the top section there, anybody can click on and schedule a one-to-one -one complimentary planning assessment with David. Happy to do that. We always love to give back to those who attend our events. And whatever issue you have, whether it's something you hear on this presentation or maybe it's estate planning, you don't have that or something going on with uh, your business or liability, looking at legal structures for your business, like limited liability companies. Those are all the things we do. And you can click on the website and uh, book a time to get your complimentary assessment. And so, uh, David, as we get into what we are calling here the 50-point business checkup, uh, we're going to dive in. And this touches on, really, the, the, the procedures of the business, but also gets into a bit of asset protection because without these things, you're exposing yourself to liability. Maybe we'll talk a bit about that, but let's let's jump into it, David. Yeah, no, the 50-point the business checkup is 100% geared towards asset protection and preservation because really what it's there to do is to check on your the health of your business, right? So it also bleeds into personal asset protection a little bit because, you know, let's face it, any given year, you make visits to your doctor to have a physical, right? A doctor will run a physical, doctor will check out all sorts of vital signs, symptoms, maybe do blood work and tests and, you know, and give you a report or tell you about things that the doctor may recommend that you might want to do to improve your overall health. Um, you go to your accountant, uh, you go to your accountant to do your taxes, possibly to keep your books, but to help guide you and point out problems that you have regarding your, your, your tax obligations, hopefully refunds, 
uh, if you're if you're uh, fortunate, knock on wood. Um, you know, and just check on your overall financial health. Uh, you take your car to a mechanic, uh, not only, you know, when something goes wrong, hopefully, but just for periodic maintenance to go in, they, they again, run tests, things they tell you, maybe check your oil, uh, check your tires, may tell you when something needs is worn and torn and needs some repair. It shouldn't be any different in operating a business. Um, we call it a 50 point business checkup because it's kind of like going to the mechanic or going to the doctor. Right. You know, we take a, a holistic look at your, your business, all areas of, of what you do and, and how you do it. And, you know, make recommendations based on uh, the things that we, you know, that, that we see. And uh, I usually am the one who leads the charge on the 50 point business checkup because in my 30 years of practicing law, I've pretty much seen it all. I've, I've done everything. Right from negotiate multi-million dollar business transactions to complex estate plans and asset protection setups. But I've also handled jury trials, court trials, appeals, uh, stuff all the way up to the Supreme Court. So from the boardroom to the courtroom, I have a lot of experience in dealing with what, you know, uh, the day-to-day -day things that, that businesses have to deal with from a business owner's perspective and also from a lawyer's perspective. So it gives me a keen eye and enables me to hone in on specific issues or problems you might have and help you uh, find workable solutions to those problems that you know fit uh, your, your budget and also not hopefully too disruptive to uh, your business endeavors. Yeah, and David, as we get into this and get into some of the, the detail of what is covered and, uh, within the 50-point business checkup, uh, is this for any industry, any size of business? Is this important information to know? Uh, definitely. I think anybody who's doing business, uh, you know, needs to have their, their contracts reviewed from time to time, their policies, their business structure, their organizational structure, how they do business, uh, how they choose to do business as either an entity or even as a sole proprietor. Um, you know, liability is, is out there. You know, lawsuits are a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. And unfortunately, as a business owner, everybody that you do business with, you know, unfortunately, is a, a potential point of, of liability. And so many business right. owners focus on chasing revenue, which is, as a business person, exactly what you got to do. Um, you know, if you don't have, you know, no bucks, no Buck Rogers for old space exploration type folks, you know, if you don't have money, uh, you're not going to be able to really do anything else. But at the same token, a lot of times they do that and kind of neglect the, the back door, you know, and the back door is where usually uh, all the problems are lurking, not always necessarily your front door, but usually at, at the back door. So what we try to do with our clients is to, to help them take care of the stuff that's lurking at the back door. Got it. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, so as we get into the uh 50 point checkup the processes Let, let's kind of dive into a bit about some of the areas you cover maybe we'll get into the weeds a little bit on on those areas so uh what would be one one place to start there well we look at we audit your corporate governance documents and procedures you know the types of things how your business is structured and set up what are your internal procedures we we look at your operational systems um, you know, how do you, you know, how are, how's your business set up and how do you do business? Let me ask you that real quick. So on the, cause you mentioned the structure of the business, let's start there. Yeah. So 
when you're starting a business or if you have an existing business, talk about the legal structure of the business. You know, the S corp versus the LLC pro, you know, the, the, the positives related to the asset protection part of that. Well, I don't know exactly what the, the scope is of how, how big some of the business are, you know, owners that, that we're dealing with here how, or how big their businesses are, or how many customers they have or, or what have you. But, you know, if you start with like a sole proprietorship, if you're just in business for yourself, maybe you have a DBA, you know, you may be David Calderon doing business as, uh, you know, we sell on eBay kind of thing or something like that. Um, all of the exposure from your business is going to fall on you personally. So, um, you know, the, the, all the liabilities, all the problems, anything you're going to be personally responsible for. Okay. So that's just if you're a sole proprietorship. If you decide to incorporate, like say an S corp or a C corp and S and C corps really differentiate the, the, the main different differentiator in those uh, types of entities are uh, the way they're taxed, right? So I won't get too much into the weeds on that, but you create a corporate entity, right? A corporate entity is its own separate structure, separate and apart from you personally. So you create a C-Corp, you take your business, put it in the C-Corp or the S-Corp in the corporation, and it creates a shell or a barrier of liability between yourself and uh, the business, right? Now, having a corporation would require you to maintain separate books and records, separate contracts. You have to have bank accounts for the corporation. You have to have all the proper filings with the state of California, uh, tax filings, things of that nature. So it's a bit more complex and involved from a business perspective, but it provides a whole bunch of asset protection. And depending on your level of risk, I mean, if you know you were, uh, there may be some businesses that you know do not have a lot of risk, and then. Some businesses, you know, you may be a nuclear waste hauler or, uh, uh, you know, something along those lines, or you're transporting real high risk or real expensive goods or acting as a broker for that. Um, you know, then you may want to really consider either forming a corporation to protect yourself, the corporation will hold your business, or form the other alternative, which is a limited liability company. And a limited liability company we find most of our clients these days, the, the majority of the formations, when we help a client convert from maybe say a sole practitioner to a you know, corporate or LLC entity, they'll usually, usually choose the LLC entity because it's easy to form. You don't have as much of the housekeeping requirements that you have with a corporation. Um, you can have an operating agreement that, that basically sets forth the, the rules of the road for the organization. And it has great asset protection qualities to it that are probably better from a personal asset protection standpoint than a corporation. The one big problem in differentiating a, a corporation and an LLC is that if someone gets a judgment with you as, as a corporation and you don't you know, have enough money necessarily to pay off that judgment or enough insurance, um, the creditor can possibly come in and seize your shares in that corporation and take over your business. Um, maybe not such because, a huge because, deal. Because, well, I was going to say, yeah. even though you're not a publicly traded company, you still have stock in your company. Correct. You own stock and creditors take stock all the time, right? I've heard you say that. Yes. No, that is that is true. And it depends, you know, if, if, if it's a business that really kind of, you know, uh, if it's an inventory heavy business, that could be a really, really big problem. You know, or somebody, if you're selling right. goods, you're selling stuff. 
Um, you know, someone comes in and liquid, you know, takes your shares and then liquidates all your inventory and, and bam, you're, you're done. Um, with a limited liability company, in many cases, a creditor cannot do that. Where a creditor can come in, if you're a sole, if you're a sole proprietor, they can go straight after your stuff. If you're a corporation, they have to try to bust through the corporate shell and get to your shares in the company, which or you get to your shares, which they can do. Um, an LLC, they can't necessarily do that. Uh, they can get what's called a charging order, which really means that they get a lien on any distributions or money that comes forth from the LLC back to you personally in the form of ownership distributions or you know, stock, you call it dividend, but they can't liquidate, they can't take your, your interest in the limited liability company, nor can they go in there and run it and manage it and maybe liquidate all of your stuff uh, in order to squeeze every last drop out of the LLC. So in terms of, if you're looking in terms of asset protection, I would say from worst to, to best or you know, better, it would be sole proprietorship worst, corporation better, LLC usually, and it depends, but people have different situations all the time. Right. That's part of the reason why you come to a lawyer to, to evaluate those based on your own personal situation, but LLC is usually best. Best. And um, when uh, I think about the size of the businesses, and I know we, you know, for the Chamber of Commerce here, uh, we understand the size of the businesses in the neighborhood. You know, many of them are in the 750 to a million dollar range or below. And it seems to me, I've heard you talk, David, that asset protection, even though a business may not be worth, you know, a billion dollars, it almost is more important when it's a smaller business because it's everything you got. And it, it is your life, right? I mean, you, you put this blood, sweat and tears into the business, you're working hard and a single liability can, can wipe out your, your lifestyle. I always think about that. Yeah, especially if you're not planned for it. I mean, let's face it, a, a billion dollars, you know, your business may not be a billion dollar business to Jeff Bezos, right. uh, but, it's, but it might as well be a billion dollar business to you. If you depend exactly. on that, your, uh, your livelihood, your family depends on it, put food on the table to pay a mortgage, um, send your kids to school, that kind of thing. So, you know, the, the old adage, I think it's, you know, Benjamin, Franklin, you know, the, the old, one of our U.S. founding fathers, who said that, uh, uh, you know, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that is 100% correct. And it's a lot cheaper a lot of times for an ounce of prevention than it is to try to pay for a pound of cure after something happens that's, that's really devastating. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we've talked about legal structure with checking on your business. And then... Um, what what is what's the next next uh, area that that you would cover? Well, let's go. I guess maybe to rewind it a little bit or go back. I mean, looking at look at your liabilities that you potential liabilities you have in your business, yeah. right? Wage and hour issues of employees, contracts with vendors and customers. Uh, you may end up with a harassment case, especially if you supervise people directly, or you have middle management that supervises people directly wrongful termination, other employment claims, things that are not covered by insurance. You know, you do, there is the employer practices liability insurance that's available. Some of you may have that. It's usually pretty expensive and there's tons of exclusions and, and limitations to that, you know. So 
Uh, you know, looking, I get it, I guess in, in that respect, you know, one of the things we would examine in addition to the corporate governance stuff are your operational systems. You know, what, what do you have? What's your structure like that's below you? How do you, how do, you do business? You know, uh, what's right. your flow chart look like? That sort of thing. So that would be another thing that, that we look at. Okay. All right. And then as you get into, uh, into the, the, uh, the weeds of the business, uh, what, what are some of the pitfalls you see when you're looking at businesses? Like where, where, where are problems coming up? I think uh, problems usually stem from lack of procedures, maybe lack of corporate of, of policies and dealing with employees, um, lack of, of, of really good solid contracts that are reviewed all the time, not only contracts with customers, but contracts with vendors, suppliers, lease issues, personal guarantees, uh, other agreements like that that people have, um, you know, just lack of, of of systems. You know, also sometimes, you know, you may not have proper accounting. You may be in a situation, especially if you're a smaller business, where there's the old adage of, I guess, like taking from Peter to pay Paul, you know, where you're mixing and matching your 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 personal funds and mingling it with your business funds to the point where people can't tell the difference between which is which. So maybe right. instead of doing a thing where, you know, you just, you, you, you give the money business, maybe you loan or, or loan money to the business, right? Um, instead of, of simply just, just taking money out of your bank account and sticking it in your, your, your business account, you loan that money to them and you have a contract and you have a separate entity and a wall between the two of you. Um, you know, that sort of thing. So that's, those are kind of the things that we, uh, you know, we, we really see. And a lot of it just, like I said, is, is not your fault, you know, from standpoint of there are either things that you, you don't anticipate, or there are things that, that kind of get lost in the, the cause of, of trying to get out and, and build your business, you know, maintain, get revenue. Right. The personal guarantees. Tell about how do you get in trouble with a personal guarantee? What, what's like a case study of where a personal guarantee could go wrong and you get nailed? Uh, you know, maybe you know you go and say you're 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 a manufacturing company, or maybe you're just a middleman and you you're you're you warehouse stuff to sell, right? Maybe you're a distribution person where you. You know, you buy, you know, yo-yos from the company that makes yo-yos and then you sell them to the public, be it, a, you know, through storefronts, Amazon, e-commerce, whatever. And, you know, you need a really big warehouse to store yo-yos, right? You know, you have those little, little you know, kids toy yeah. thing. And you got all these yo-yos you bought from a manufacturer in China. You're going to go send, you know, and sell to, to Walmart, Target, sell them on eBay, um, sell them on Amazon, what have you. Um, right. And so you need a big building to store these these yo-yos. So you figure, oh, this is great. I've already got these product channels, distribution. These folks have you know, promised they're going to buy X amount of yo-yos for me, this, that, and the other. So you go and you rent a warehouse and this giant warehouse, you know, maybe in the Inland Empire or Orange County, you know, North San Diego, whatever. And, um, you know, no problem. I can cover this nut. This is my business can handle this. I've got a LLC that owns the yo-yo business. They can rent this, this warehouse out. We're going to sell enough yo-yos to pay the rent. No problem, right? 
So you rent this big warehouse out and the landlord says, well, you know, I'm not going to rent this to you unless you personally guarantee it. I'm perfectly happy to put the, the, the lease in the name of the limited liability company, but I want you to personally guarantee it. So if something goes wrong on your five-year lease on the warehouse uh, or 10-year lease or what have you, you're going to personally guarantee that the rent gets paid. And a lot of times people will say, yeah, yeah, no problem. I've got all the, these yo-yo deals, you know, that are, are you know, uh, no problem. I'm going to get rid of the yo-yos, make the money. We're going to be in like Flint, right? So you sign the personal guarantee without thinking much. The personal guarantee basically says everything that you own, your houses, your bank accounts, all property you got, everything, your businesses, is going to guarantee this lease if something happens to the, the, the LLC that sells yo-yos. So, you know, next thing you know, you got a giant cargo ship coming in that's, that's sailing across the Pacific from China that has, you know, hundreds of thousands of yo-yos that you're going to go sell. That ship sinks for some mysterious reason. There's a giant storm in the Pacific or something goes wrong where your yo-yos don't come and you got this big empty warehouse and you can't sell these things and generate revenue. You default on your lease, right? Or the, the company that you have, the LLC defaults on the lease and tells the landlord, look, I, I can't pay the rent. I need to get out of this. The landlord's going to turn around and say, uh, I don't care. I've got this personal guarantee where you've guaranteed that you're going to pay the rent every month, no matter what. And so if you don't pay the rent, not only am I going to sue you to recoup or take this warehouse back, but I'm also going to come after you personally for the remainder of the rent and get a money judgment against you. Um, so that's one you know, area through and really through no fault of your own, even like maybe an act of God or something that, that where you know, you're unable to, to pay the, the rent on that warehouse. They may have like, maybe like year one into the lease, you got four years left that you got to pay where the, the landlord's going to look to you personally for payment instead of business because you signed a personal guarantee saying that rent okay. will be paid. Yeah. And I, you bring to mind too, uh, something that our firm was dealing with where a franchise owner, uh, I think it was a subway franchise, but was expanding, expanding, signing personal guarantees along the way. And then a couple of the new subways didn't pan out and there were personal guarantees and he, they, they really came back to haunt him. And, and, you know, I remember that scenario. Yeah. And in, and in the, and in the franchisee space, not only are you signing personal guarantees on, on real estate and, equipment that you need for the restaurant right you, you leave right. most people lease that equipment um they they lease the premises that the business operates on they also have personal guarantees with the franchisor a lot of times right that, that you know you're going to make your sales uh, right you're going to hit your your four percent or whatever they extract out of you to use the name subway or you know burger king or mcdonald's or whatever yep uh david you mentioned owner agreements does that include buy-sell agreements? And what are you looking for with owner agreements? I mean, is the problem is you don't see them off, often? Like business partners don't have a buy-sell? I mean, what, what, what's the whole deal with owner agreements? Yeah, especially if you're in a, a situation where you own your business with another individual or several individuals or entities even. Maybe companies have come in and invested. You've got a business that's owned by you know three, four, or five people. Um, 
a lot of times, you know, in those situations, you'll run into businesses who, who haven't properly planned for the demise of one of the owners, right? Where one of the owners may decide, I don't want to be part of this business anymore, or one of the owners may get divorced if they're married. One of the owners passes away, which is usually the number one trigger in that. Then what do we do? Like if you've got four owners of a business and they all own 25%, what do we do with the 25% that's that's with the deceased owner? And so a lot of times, if that's the case, as part of this 50-point business checkup, we may recommend that you do a what's called a buy-sell or a control agreement with the four owners of the business, where if something happens to the one of you, there's a way for the, the person who's either deceased or maybe becomes disabled to the point where they can't work or you know simply wants out, they can sell their 25% interest back to the other partners or the company at a predetermined price that's set on the value of the business, which could be underwritten with insurance. Um, you know, if it's a, a death situation with life insurance, for example, disability, it could be disability insurance, or it can be done in a way where it provides uh, maybe a lump sum cash payment with a promissory note to provide flexibility for the other three business owners that are still left holding the bag on the business. But it makes so, like, say, if you've got four people that own the business, like 25% of the business each, what it right. means is that if, say, all four of them are married, you know, but it's the one spouse that's involved in the running of the business, not the other spouse, right? So it, what it prevents is a situation where if, if one of those four owners passes away, that their 25% doesn't directly fall into the hands of that deceased person's spouse. Oh, and that okay. deceased person's spouse also is now your partner um, in the business, may not know nothing about anything about the business, may not want any part of it. Um, what it provides is a mechanism for that spouse, the surviving spouse, to sell the 25% back to the other three partners or the end of, or the company itself okay. uh, and get a cash payout for that. So it, it gives them an opportunity, not only an opportunity for you to maintain control of your business, but also gives the, 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 the spouse of, of your you know, deceased partner, deceased co-owner um, some, you know, gives them cash, gives them money in their pocket and financial security. So, you have peace of mind as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So that way, you know, you can you can enter into that agreement as the person who's the frontline you know, partner in business and say, well, if something happens to me. I've, I've done something to take care of my spouse down the line. Um, if something does happen to me in the situation where they don't have to be burdened by this, they can get a monetary payment, liquidate that. It's almost in, in a way, in, in that sense, like a form of insurance as well. And you right. can purchase right. insurance right. to help. Uh, protect that if that pops up and you need that as well. What about when businesses are expanding? I know that's one of the areas we look at here, business expansion. What do you have to, what are you looking at for businesses that are growing, maybe opening up a second place or whatever, or, you know, hiring? Again, I think, you know, businesses that are, the businesses that are expanding, you know, we're looking possibly at your marketing and, and development systems. Uh, finance and, and accounting, um, you know, what are your operational systems like, you know, or, or is it, uh, are you ready to expand? Are you ready to grow? Um, a lot of that also, if you get into a position, there may be a lot of people on this call or building up a business looking to sell at some point, right? Mm 
yeah. looking to yeah. build something up and to 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 move it on, right? To say, okay, I want to, you know, my dream is to to start, you know, this this. I've got this great idea. I, my my nephew, as a matter of fact, did that. He had a was involved in the the tech business up in Silicon Valley. Got in with a group of folks who developed games for your phone and and they ended up getting bought by a, a much bigger fish and made a lot of money and then he moves on to the next entrepreneurial venture that he wants to do um you know in this case it's the same thing you may be trying to package your business to sell package your business to expand so we go in and make sure that you're all set up that, that you don't have any areas of exposure that you've got all of your internal systems taken care of that things that the business can operate possibly, hopefully a bit independent of you, right? So if something happens right. to you, your business can continue on and you can sell it. Um, some people are involved in, a, in businesses where, you know, they're completely dependent on goodwill. You know, goodwill meaning that the, the goodwill of the owner that, you know, people come to the business because of you, not necessarily what you're selling, right? They, right, they, right, they, right. Like, they like dealing with you. So those businesses, they take different, you know, it's, it's a different analysis than it is of, say, you've got a, a piece of intellectual property or something proprietary that you've developed and, 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 and you know, that, that has a ton of value independent of you. So, you know, in those cases, a lot of times we will recommend if you've got intellectual property, you've got a product that is protectable by way of a patent or you've got marketing stuff that's that's protectable by way of a trademark and systems that you do you know a lot of times we'll we'll you know uh, tell people to hold that separately from the rest of your actual day-to-day business uh, because right. that's the stuff sometimes that really has heavy duty value right so it's you know and also if you're expanding you may want to do something where um if you're looking to open multiple locations, you may have a company or may set up a business that will actually own, that'll actually run the other businesses that you set up. You know, you set them up okay. individually and have a holding company or something that, or a management company that, that handles those things for you. So, Very interesting. And David, when you're a, um, a business owner and, you know, at some point you think about exiting the business, what sort of discussions do you have have about bringing management into the business or bringing family into the business? Like, how do you, how do you make sure that's done right? Well, I think, you know, in those cases, we have, you know, lots of ways of advising clients on, on transitions, you know, like if if they're looking to transition in and out of the business, I mean, um, you know, you may run into a situation where, you know, your your family, you know, your your kids don't want to be in the business later on. Maybe they want to go to college and do something else. I know I read an article not too long ago about a lot of uh, people that own, you know, like Chinese restaurants who came to the United States. And these these restaurants all of a sudden, you know, they people love these places. Then they show up one day and the restaurant's closed closed because the owners retired and there's nobody left to run the business because their whole goal was to work their butts off in that business, make enough money to send their kids to school so they could go on and do, you know, do something else. Right. Yeah. Uh, Same with my, my family, my family, you know, my, my dad and my brother's own Mexican restaurants in Orange County. My dad was worked for El Torito for, for years. 
Um, and you know, my, my family business is a restaurant business, but they did well enough to provide me with an opportunity to make a choice as to what I wanted to do. Right. Right. My dad came as an immigrant from Mexico city, um, you know, and, and pulled himself up by his bootstraps and and made a good enough living where I could go to school and not necessarily have to do what he did. Right. I could do something else. So you may end up in situations where kids don't want to necessarily be in the business. Maybe you've got then as a, a you know instead of the kids you've got a, a, somebody who's your loyal right hand person who's worked for you for years right and who's really helped you build the value up on that business and has done it in a way where you know you feel like i want to pass the business along to them so there's ways of doing buy sell agreements with those employees those key employees to to uh you know pass the business along to you know to them if you want to when you retire there's also creative compensation agreements like phantom equity plans and things where you can you can incentivize top employees that you have uh, with bonuses that equate to growth in the business, right? So they're not necessarily getting equity or ownership, but they're compensated like an owner. And so it makes them feel like they have skin in the game. Plus, it keeps them, you know, tied to the business. Uh, we sometimes call those golden handcuffs. Um, you know, so that way too, and you know, a lot of times the a change of ownership event or sale of the business will trigger a payment to that employee in that regard. Well, you can kind of take care of two birds with one stone because you can compensate your employee and then on the sale, you can compensate your family. But even right. if you, you know, you have your kids that you want to bring into, into the business, you should treat them just like you would uh, uh, any other employee and bring them along kind of, uh, kind of in the same way because most businesses, uh, you know, when they fail, they fail in the second generation, not the first, because the first right. is the one who had to work their butt off, develop the ideas, the problems, the sweat equity, all the other stuff that, that goes with building and running a business. It's usually the family that it's handed off to that doesn't have that same kind of motivation and tenacity and, and hunger and sometimes street smarts that the, the person who started the business has. Yeah, yeah. Interesting comment. I got to mention estate planning here and, and, you know, estate planning for business owners, because I know that it's a very important component of overall planning, even as a business owner. And so, David, with estate planning, that's your wills and your trust and getting that done. I know I've heard you talk many times before that it's going to happen to everybody. And if you don't take control of it, then the courts, you know, will step in. But when it comes to a business, how do you integrate the business into your estate plan? That's funny. The, the uh, death and taxes, right, are the two things yeah. that are always in, inevitable. Um, you know, you can you can kind of put put off death through through uh, better physical health, I guess, and uh, you can put off you know you can minimize your taxes through better planning. But eventually, you know, you're going to have to pay on both ends, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so so, uh, you know, your estate plan, you can use that to, you know, basically you can transfer, you transfer your owner. Well, let me step back. Everybody should have, especially if, if you own a business, should have an estate plan. Then, as as Paul mentioned, that's like a will and a trust, and powers of attorney for your your healthcare. So you know, and and for your property management, property decisions, and and businesses are your property right? They're part of what right. makes up your property. So the, the powers, the will and the trust are there if you die. 
Um, if you've taken good care of your trust, you've transferred all your stuff into trust, a will wouldn't have a lot of import other than to maybe uh, determine how your kids are going to be handled, who's going to raise your kids, who's going to manage their money, and then anything outside the trust, it'll operate to put uh, put that into the trust, the will, for example. Right. Right. Um, the, the trust should have ownership of, of your businesses. You should transfer the ownership of your businesses into, into your trust. So, you know, what a trust is, a trust isn't, this, isn't an asset protection vehicle, but really it's a distribution plan. So if something happens to you, this is how you're going to divvy up your assets, including your business, your, your home or businesses, you know, any of your cars, whatever you have that, that you want to possibly leave to your kids, your wife, your dog, what have you. Um, the powers of attorney are there to to protect you in the case that you get really sick and unconscious, but you haven't you haven't yet died, right? So you're in a right. vegetative state or a time where you can't, you know, um, you're you're indisposed of otherwise. It basically is it's a roadmap that you provide for somebody you trust to make decisions for you while you're in that state, and that means decisions regarding your health care, like what kind of health care you want to receive or if you want to receive none at all, um, or on property, how you want your affairs managed while you're, you're, you're under. You can, you can give people incredibly wide latitude or give them small latitude, but either way, you give somebody you trust direction on how to deal with your, your person and your estate, you know, so um, powers of attorney, a uh, will and a trust, I think, are, are a must for everyone, especially, you know, for the folks here who are, are entrepreneurs and running their own business. So Yeah, because uh, a problem is that if you, you know, if if you're running a business, let's say you're bringing the kids into the business. We see this a lot and there's different ownership stakes, right? The Maybe the parents or one of the parents, they have ownership. Kids have some ownership. And now the parents are getting older, they don't have a living trust in place. And now, even if they start getting into cognitive decline, right, or, you know, worse, you know, they're passing away, they have ownership piece in the business, and now they're, they're going to probate. So their assets, including the stake in the business, correct me if I'm wrong, is now probated. And so, you know, that, that's going to be a hornet's nest, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, estate plans are not really expensive to do, but again, it's right. a situation where, you know, an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure because um, the pound of cure and probate can be extensive uh, from, you know, legal fees, it, interruptions and disruptions in the business. Um, you know, probate is when you don't have a, a will and a trust and you have to go to court to have the court divvy up your, your assets and decide how they're going to be distributed. Right. Um, probate's expensive. Uh, it can take six months to a year or more to work its way through the system. Whereas trust administration, if someone is just, just doling out assets under a trust, is a hell of a lot cheaper than probate. Right. And it's way, way, way quicker than, than probate as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, any other hot button issues, David, you want to mention here as we get sort of to the uh, the latter part of our talk? 
Yeah, I think, you know, circling back with the, the you know, and this is all part of, of the 50-point business checkup, the things we've discussed. But, you know, doing like things like doing like due diligence, like essentially we look at your business like, or, you know, or any, or, you know, whoever does this for you, will look at your business like I was going to buy it. You know, like I wanted to buy your business. So I'm going to do full due diligence. I'm going to look at your contracts, look at your insurance, look at your relationships, your employees, your, your employee handbooks, how your assets are held, how your intellectual property is held, intellectual property being one of your assets, but sometimes that's a really, you know, huge asset. Um, <clears throat> your real property leases, your equipment leases, um, you know, is the business holding way too much cash? You know, should you take the cash and put that in some other entity that you can make work for you in some way, shape or form? You know, we often will recommend to clients to only keep cash for their, their minimum business needs, to take right. the other cash and do something else with it so the business doesn't be, isn't a big fat cash target. Um, you know, obviously cash needs for working capital, things of that nature. Of course. If, you're, if, you, if you buy yo-yos, it's money to buy yo-yos, right? And put them in your, your warehouse. Um, make sure your formalities are taken care of on the business side. Um, you know, and, and let's face it, a business that's well-maintained is a valuable business. Um, a well-maintained business where you can anticipate and button up, uh, deficiencies or problems to the best of your ability is going to be worth a lot more to you. Should you decide to exit the business cash out and move on and, either move on to a new business or buy an island in the South Pacific or, or just even send your kids to college, right? So, right. Um, yeah, so so the 50-point checkup is really aimed towards helping you not only limit your liability, but maintain the value of your business and make it something that, that you know, where, where you don't have to, 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 to worry about, you know, things keeping you up at night. So. Yeah. And I think it might be less expensive to buy the island than it would be to send your kid to college these days. You know, <laughs> I'm finding that out. I got a daughter who's going going next year. And it's yeah, it's a yeah. college is not a, a cheap, uh, cheap proposition Ooh. by any stretch. Here's for here's for in-state tuition. Right. With the uh, absolutely yeah. junior college first, if you're going to go. <laughs> uh, well, great. Well, do we want to bring on um, uh, uh, some uh, some Q&A? opportunity now thank you thank you paul my god you were asking the the great the perfect questions and david addressed them uh very truly uh i have a uh a few questions for you uh david the first one that came in is in regards to uh the legal structure of a business and this yeah. came from uh this came from an exporter actually who is thinking about uh you know incorporating in the u.s so he can have like a subsidiary of a Mexican company. So what legal yeah. structure would you recommend? It's a, it's a small um, company, but what, what would you recommend? I'd probably, I don't know enough, I guess, in this yeah. seminar to, to, to be able to answer that question really, really well. I don't want to, to give faulty legal advice without kind of knowing full circle about what's going on. But I, there are definitely ways of doing that. And if you wanted to talk to us about it, we could, we could definitely, you know, speak to you about it, uh, about it some more. My family still does quite a bit of, of business in Mexico. So, uh, yeah, so I'd be more than happy to, to, you know, to, to talk about that offline. So. Perfect. I'll let him know because, um, yeah, you're right. Every, every, um, 
case it has a specific or have specifics that need to be addressed before you recommend a legal yeah. structure. Um, following up on the legal structure, um, you know, we have a lot of like sole proprietors or self-employed. And when it comes to choosing between, you know, C-Corp, S-Corp or LLC, again, I, I know it's a very uh, open question, but is there is there like a, a more common legal structure for a sole proprietor who wants to start protecting their assets? Um, I would probably say in, in that situation, maybe in, in an LLC that is taxed as an S-Corp. Okay. Um, again, I, I couch that with a disclaimer that I don't yeah. know much about the individual, the business, or what's what's going on in that regard. Or something where, you know, that, that they, they put the business in an entity with some sort of pass-through taxation, right? So, um, and a lot of times a, a business holding LLC will recommend be, be formed as an LLC that's taxed as, as an S-Corp if it's, you know, if it's, if it's a business. If it's real property you're looking to protect or personal property, mm -hmm. we would recommend an LLC that's a disregarded entity usually um, where there's complete pass through on the tax, but it, it also, there, there are tax issues with the property that is held in those, those kind of things that you don't want to, uh, to mess up either. And it's always a good, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, but not a CPA. I know, you know, I s slept in a holiday and express last night. I don't know if you've seen that commercial, you know, where the person, yeah, OAI goes and does surgery or what have you, but I don't want to pretend to know more than a CPA or a trusted tax advisor that someone has. So I would always say, no matter what our recommendations are on tax are, it's always good to run them by a, a certified public accountant to, to make sure that it fits with their situation and with your overall financial uh, goals as well. Perfect. And um, for a U.S. Uh, company that is considering uh, foreign investors, what's the um, best legal structure? Um, again, that's one of those where I think, you know, we'd have to sit down and, and look at it some more. I, I totally appreciate the pointed questions, but it's, it's, it's one of those situations where without knowing, you know, uh, the specifics, uh, full circle about the specifics. Yeah. And so there David, are, are there issues yeah. with foreign investors specific to foreign investors when you take that are. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. There's issues usually on both ends sometimes with not only here in the U.S., but also with whatever, you know, foreign, we use Mexico as an example. There might be some issues of, you know, in terms of the Mex of Mexican law, uh, Mexican tax structures that, that maybe have to, to dealt with, be dealt with. And also um, just, you know, in terms of being able to pick a, a certain type of entity. I know a lot of foreign investment folks will go the C-Corp route um to to do that and or maybe go as an llc taxed as a c corp if they want to go that way as well because but I'm, I'm thinking you know s corps these days a lot of the restrictions on foreign shareholders have been been lifted but still um you know that's kind of the lingering lingering thing but i'd have to look at the, the situation probably a little more specifically and concretely uh, david you mentioned uh in the beginning of your presentation that contracts uh, should be reviewed from time to time. How often do you recommend to review your legal uh, contracts? I would say at least once a year. Um, laws change every year. Um, look, look at COVID, for example, mm -hmm. right? COVID, all of a sudden, uh, 
when COVID became a thing, there's a, a legal clause or legal legal language called force majeure, which is a, like is French for like a act of God type scenario, which a, a lot of contracts have as, as boilerplate language, but a lot of them don't. When I say boilerplate, meaning standard stuff, right? Standard yeah. clauses where it says that if there's an act of God or an act of war or terrorism, or in this case, a pandemic, right? Where you could suspend the contract while you're unable to, you know, that makes you unable to fulfill the contract terms, right? That you basically suspend the contract or cancel it because of that. That gives you an out either way. Well, nobody really cared too much about force majeure until COVID hit. And then all of a sudden force majeure became a huge thing. Because uh, people, you know, COVID just the, the world stopped turning pretty much, and and now even you just need to look at foreign events like in Ukraine, for example, where where um, you know military action that we didn't really foresee five, six, ten years ago is now coming to the forefront. So uh, yeah, so things change. Things are constantly shifting in the world, and you constantly need to to you know have people who know what they're doing uh, look at your contracts and and make sure you're a hundred percent or as close to 100% protected as you can be. Perfect. You mentioned also, uh, you know, the uh, a lot of businesses lack of certain stuff like procedures, uh, contracts, uh, lease issues, etc. Um, you know, in the last 14 years, I have heard, you know, from members of the associations that have had issues with uh, uh, lease, with leases, And, um, and, and I'm sure that you have uh, several times. What would you recommend to anyone who's planning to uh, lease a property in the next uh, few months? Uh, what are some of the recommendations that you want to give them? Pay a lawyer for an hour of their time to look at it for you. Mm -hmm. um, an hour, maybe even two. Uh, but, you know, it, within that, no matter how big the lease usually is, Uh, they can look at it and kind of tell you, hey, I think this is great. I think this is terrible. I wouldn't mm -hmm. sign it with this. And I would do ultimately what all a lawyer can do is make recommendations to the client. Right. And the client has the ultimate decision on whether or not to go through with something. It's like going to the doctor. Doctor can can, you know, doctor will tell you what I think is wrong with you. Right. I think, you know. Um, this is, you know, this is what I think is wrong with you. There's like five different ways we can treat it. And then the patient has to make the decision, okay, which one of those five or all those five or do I want to, to take or enter into? It's the same thing with a lawyer. A lawyer can at least look at the contract mm -hmm. and tell you what they think. Is this something that's kind of standard language? Is this something, is the lease really tilted in favor of the landlord? which, you know, it usually is when you first get the draft, right? Or is it something that's a little more tenant friendly? Um, and the same thing with personal guarantees. You know, you can negotiate personal guarantees. You don't have to sign the, the one that they, they stick in front of you all the time. Yeah. And granted, if you're a big business and you've been in business for a long time, uh, the business can stand on its own two feet really well, then, you know, you, you may have a bit more leverage in dealing with a personal guarantee than you are if you're just starting a business and you have no track record and, and not a lot of money behind it, right? Mm -hmm. But even still, you could try to, to you know, pick at it and try to, to limit it, to limit the personal guarantee. Maybe you limit the personal guarantee to certain assets that you have. Maybe you say, I'm not going to sign the personal guarantee at all and see if they'll still lease to the building. 
maybe you just say, okay, the personal guarantee is going, if the, the company stays, this is a five-year lease, the company stays good on its rent for three years, the personal guarantee is done, it gets burned off. Those are things that you could try to do to, to, to minimize your liability. And it's, you know, um, it's like, like, a you know, uh, you know, put it in, in, in soccer terms, right? You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> right. So you might as well, might as well make, take your shot, man. It may find the corner of the net. You never know. Right. So I agree. I agree. Yeah. The last one that I have on my end, uh, David, it's in regards to acquisitions. Uh, yeah. does your, does your, uh, practice help with, uh, acquisition assessments? Yes, definitely. In terms of like, you know, doing due diligence or, or, or serving as counsel for either a buyer or seller in a transaction. Yes. Perfect. Um, you know, we, we definitely can help with all that stuff, contracts, due diligence, all the things that you need to get done. And that's, that's another, uh, thing that I highly recommend you guys to, uh, Uh, talk to a lawyer because oftentimes, you know, you, you get on paper where it looks to be perfect and it looks like a great deal and then you are acquiring a, a business with a lot of potential, but, you know, it's the fine print that can get you in trouble in those transactions. So it's important that you talk to experts like um, David and, and his firm, right, David? No, no doubt. Yes. You know, the, the, and, you know, it's not just me, but I mean, you know, there are California, there are tons of lawyers. Right. So um, a lot of people sometimes just think, oh, I can never afford a lawyer or, you know, they just don't want to have to deal with a lawyer because they look at a lawyer as mm -hmm. you know, being part of the system or whatever. Um, but you can negotiate with lawyers, too. There's nothing to say that you can't negotiate with them on rates that, that you can't, you know, find somebody that that works for you. You may run into a lawyer who says, no, this is what my fee is and I don't budge. But, you know, you know, do do your due diligence in, in shopping for attorneys, find people who uh, not only who you feel are really good, but people that you can work with and people that you can trust. But I think it's always better. Again, you know, you miss all the shots you don't take. So if you go into something without a lawyer and figure I don't need one, it's a small deal or something. I can do this myself. Uh, then, you know, sometimes you run risks, especially if the other side has lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. Or has a lawyer you're, you're dealing with as well. Right. So, right. And like I said, it all depends on your budget. It all depends on the money you have. It all depends on, uh, you know, your, your ability to, to, to make that work. And, and the last one, and then this one comes from me. Um, we have some, uh, businesses that are starting to look into doing business with, uh, corporations and, and with the government, uh, private and uh, public procurement. Is that something okay. uh, something that uh, that your firm uh, can help out too? Like review those contracts, help these businesses like enter into these relationships with a solid legal foundation. Most most definitely, we could definitely help with that. And and if if you know there are areas of, of government expertise where we possibly might need help, we could also refer you know to people who could do those types of things. I not only. I've been practicing law for, for 30 years now. So I've got my, my own experience and I know, I know the things I'm good at and the things I enjoy. I know the things that I'm not good at and the things I don't enjoy. And for the things I'm not good at or I don't enjoy, I know people that's their, their passion. That's what they love doing. We have people in our firm who do different things than I do. And I also have a huge network of people that I can refer to not only in the legal fields, but in finance and capital and, and um, accounting. Uh, you know, HR, uh, you name it. We, I've, you know, I've got a full, 
a full bank of, of, of referral sources, you know, in, in my quiver that I could help people deal with as well. So that's perfect. Anything else that, um, you guys would like to add before we leave? I just want to say thank you for having both of us. Yeah. It was a pleasure to be yes. here. No, thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Oh, uh, David. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you to, uh, to, to, to everyone who's, who's participated today. It's been an honor. I, a privilege. I, appreciate the invite and I wish you all, you know, 100% success in all of your endeavors and a great rest of the week. No, thank you guys. 